Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today, Seabass. We'll get into a long discussion of the state of Vanderbilt football, how it got here, where it's going, all sorts of stuff. I think you'll enjoy the episode today, so let's get right to it with Seabass. Seabass joins us. He, of course, is a longtime guest on the podcast. He works at WNWS in Jackson, Tennessee. Thanks for joining us today, my man. Man, Chris, it is the pleasure of my life to be with you and all of Commodore Nation today on this particular podcast, my friend. I forgot to ask, you were in Nashville last weekend, weren't you, for the Colts game? I was. I absolutely was. I know this is off topic. We'll get to Vandy. But what was the, I mean, it's sort of related. What was the visiting turnout for that? Big. Yeah. Big. I was was surprised. Uh, You know, I thought after uh, a couple of years after Peyton went away, you know, and maybe went away is not the right term, but you know what I mean. That 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 would change. That you would just see some scattered here and there, but there was a bunch of Colts fans, a bunch of them. I was really surprised. Uh, for for all you Titans fans out there, now the only thing that really matters is that we left brokenhearted, uh, but they were there. There was a bunch of thousands of them, actually. I think that's just kind of the thing anymore. Like, I know that Vanderbilt's got its obvious issue, and maybe we'll talk about that today. Maybe we won't, because I think the crowd thing has been beaten down pretty good. And, and maybe, I, maybe I'm maybe i speaking out of turn. I used to be a Titan season ticket holder, and then life got real busy and we gave them up, but I'm lucky to get to that stadium once every three years now. But it just seems like that's that way for a lot of people. Nashville is such just a hot destination that I think it's that way for probably everybody that they play, other than maybe the Jags or somebody that just doesn't have much of a fan base. And, you know, I'll tell you, I think that's a great point. So this this is kind of Vandy-related, too. Now, some of the situation that's happening there is is a little deeper than just Nashville being an attraction. But, you know, people could say, well, you know, then why didn't Franklin have nearly the problems with that? And remember, he still wasn't really selling them out. He was close. And we definitely had the majority and the advantage. But I would also submit to you, and, and Franklin's been gone, what, now, eight, nine years? Eight years, I think it is? Yeah, 2013 so, was his last year. I guess the first week of 2014, because that, that game was in January, I think. But let's tell the truth. I, hey, Nashville, in the last seven, eight years, I mean, it's, it's been growing for a long time, obviously, but not like this last seven, eight years. Last seven, eight years, it's just been a total explosion. Everybody coming in, you know, and so much more to do, and it becoming a destination. Us being bad at football has certainly not helped uh, that situation by any stretch, but when you can clearly see that it is also affecting the Titans, you know, you're defending AFC champion, AFC South champions, by the way, then it's clearly an issue. You know, Vanderbilt hadn't helped itself. The, the fact that this town is so desirable and that these fan bases mark that calendar, yes, it, yes, it's, it's their easiest conference win by far, 
but it's also a destination place for them to go that they can party and have a big time, make a whole weekend out of it. And the very next day, in some instances, turn around. I guarantee you there were a bunch of Georgia fans at that Tennessee Titans game, you know, who stayed around and, and watched that Titans game. I mean, what other SEC school uh, uh, cities are offering that? They don't, you know. So, I mean, while winning football games is certainly going to help us down the line, I don't think there's any question about that. The fact of the matter is all those other fan bases, A, are already cultivated. They don't have to cultivate them. They already did, and they've been together for a long, long time, and the numbers are just much bigger and better than ours, and and, and that's something we're going to have to deal with. Winning will cut into it. It will not eliminate it. Yeah, I, I don't think I have seen as many Vanderbilt fans at one game ever since he left than we saw at the Birmingham Bowl, his last game. I mean, and I wonder... Hey, Liberty like, Bowl, too. Yeah, and I, I couldn't go to that one, but I heard it was a, a pretty good turnout. But yeah, I was there. I, I was there, and I actually, believe it or not, Chris, my man Harold Grader set me up with some fantastic tickets, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They were fantastic. They were in the Cincinnati uh, players' family section. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and I'm decked out in black and gold. And it was funny, Chris. You'd love the conversations. All those parents could talk about was how much these players loved Butch Jones so much more than they did Brian Kelly. That how wow. how great a coach he was. Well, <laughs> you know how that turned out. That's been a decade ago now. I know. Here's the hypothetical, and I hadn't thought of this until just now, but you talk about all the people moving here, right? What if they could have, I mean, and, and Franklin was going to leave anyway, right? But, and, and this is kind of dumb because the Vandenberg thing crashed everything and you had a chancellor who wouldn't stand up for athletics and a, and a provost in Wente who some people say hates it. I don't know that that's unfair, but... If they could have bottled what they had then, and it was red hot, and they could have taken it into now with the way Nashville's grown, I, I do wonder, and oh, I, by the way, do the right thing and build stuff in the, in the middle, I wonder what it would have looked like. It's probably a dumb conversation to have because... There's so many ifs in there that just didn't square with reality, especially given who ran the school. But when I think about this and I just think how much Nashville has grown since then, like all they had to do was make a few right moves that anybody with the brain could have made and, and what might it, that look like. What would the crowds be now of their fans had, had by some you know, twist of fate the last seven years had gone differently, given the way that this town has taken off. And it's, I mean, any answer is total speculation. We both realize that, obviously, but but it's fun. Speculating can be can be fun. You know, the only thing that I have paused, uh, paused with concern is, if I remember correctly, they really tried to hang on to Franklin, right? They Weren't they ready to give him five, six million dollars a year? Oh, I was I was told they legitimately offered ten years, fifty mil. But I think the damage had been done. But what, and I understand that. But what it does speak to is, for the right guy, we'll pay the right price. But here's my question: 
when James Franklin took that job at Penn State, why was that job not desirable? Uh, why were, I mean, and there were some people, and I understand that. I don't remember all the names. I know there were some people that took a look at it. But why was why wasn't one of those deals where every hot name out there, you know, was saying, man, look what this dude did. I'm, if he can do it, I can do it. You know, it's in the SEC. I can attract the smart guys and great players. Why wasn't every best a coordinator and the, everybody that was a hot name out there clamoring for that job after the after what Franklin did after he wa- they watched him go to three bowls, win two of them, and watch the amount of people that came to watch those teams in the bowls, the way that they traveled. Why wasn't that a super destination for any and every available potential head coach? Why? It wouldn't have mattered. They are going to do what they want to do the way they want to do it. They were offered James Franklin $50 million. They weren't going to go get another James Franklin. They might have been okay with the James Franklin they had because it checked some boxes with the school, but they, they were not going to go get another push-the-envelope guy, and I just don't think they ever will again. I, that just doesn't make any sense, though. And I understand what you're saying, but if you are willing to literally fork over $50 million to a guy that you know, he's got new results, but that you know for sure, not maybe, not speculative, is not going to be a yes man, is not going to be anything like you have had before, and is always going to to publicly push the envelope on you all the time. As you said, five, 10 years, $50 million. You don't make that type of offer to, even to a guy who is there unless you're willing to go all the way. It was $50 million bucks. I mean, I just don't see how you could make that offer and then not be serious at all and are looking for a way out because the truth is if that's the case, then you didn't even have to make that offer. Okay, look, I'm going to give you a couple stories, and, and, and this is going to take a bit, okay? But I think okay. there are two conversations that I look back on that I have had in the last few years that tell me really everything I need to know about how they think. And, and let me set this up, okay. because I used to be the guy that apologized for them and explained and told people how they were wrong and I talk to the, the person who knows and blah, blah, blah. So I'm not the guy in the market that, that doesn't trust that stuff anymore. Somebody at the Rivals Network, one of our national guys, had said some stuff on a tweet or a story, I don't remember now, that said, you know, Vanderbilt just doesn't care, blah, blah, blah. And obviously this guy was getting fed stuff by Franklin. I, I called somebody at the network and said, look, you guys aren't doing me any favors here. They legitimately offered Franklin you know, 10 years, 50 million. And, and a lot of stuff that James said at the time, it just, I'm like, this guy's off his rocker. Yeah, I've seen the school do this and that. And you don't understand until later, until you've seen the shell games and the smoke and mirrors, because at first it all looks like, well, this is what they're doing and this is what they say they're going to do. And then you... And, and then you start finding out that it's it's a lot more nuanced than it's presented. So I'm going to tell you two conversations that I have had that I think tell the story of how the school runs the way that it does. And 
This season of the Vandy Sports Podcast is made possible by my friend Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. When it comes to general or cosmetic dentistry services, Jody is the best in Nashville. And just check out his client list. It testifies to that. He sees movie stars, music stars, athletes, coaches, you name it. Jody is the dentist of choice for stars in Nashville. But he sees regular folks like you and I as well. And what people like about the experience is the ambiance. Someone described it to me as a tooth spa. I went in and looked at it myself. That's exactly what it is. It is a relaxing, friendly environment. So whether your dental needs are general or cosmetic, go see Jody. Call him at 615-270-2322. His office is located at 55 Music Square East, not far from downtown Nashville, not far from the Vanderbilt campus. Jody is a former Vanderbilt football player, a huge booster of Commodore Athletics. His support as the title sponsor for Season 7 is the reason we are able to do this podcast. Go see Dr. Jody Jones today. Thank him for his support of the Vandy Sports Podcast and tell him you heard about it here. The first one happened. This was a few weeks after David Williams resigned or whatever on September 11, 2018. And I had known for a while that interest in that job was really hot. I had some contacts and some back channels, and I'm not going to name names on the podcast. I've dropped them on the board at times. These were names I literally had to hold on for two years. ADs at big places do not want their names getting out. Don't want their bosses to know they're looking. Certainly don't want them to know that if they don't get the job. And so I, I talked to a person or two and said, look, when this job opens, and they knew this before time, these, these are guys that I think you can get. And so when the Williams thing happened, I'm like, okay, now it's on. That They couldn't really get rid of David. Nick was not willing to fight that fight. I think both of them were very content to sit and point fingers at each other. And it served both of them well because it absolved a lot of them of any responsibility because one could always point the finger at the other and, and the other did enough believable things that, that you, could, you could believe the stories. So I'm thinking that now was the time, you know, the city's red hot. The job's got a chance to be red hot. You got people that are really intrigued with the possibility that C. Vanderbilt's a sleeping giant. And I will never forget a conversation I had, and it was not initiated by me. And it went this way. And it was somebody who knows what goes on. He said, look, I just want to let you know you may want to be prepared for this because... We do things a certain way over here. So-and-so might be right for a job at other big schools, but that doesn't make them right for Vanderbilt. And, and I'm just sitting there stunned thinking, is the conversation not about who's the best for the job? And it was said in a way that came off as, for some reason, we're better than these big-name people. Vanderbilt's a special place, and you you got to understand how we do things. And I hear that a lot. My jaw just about hit the floor. Uh, and they ended up not calling, not even, not even calling some of the people that would have taken that job. Not, not even a conversation, not even right. to kick the tires. That's number one. Number two was last year when I got out 
This would have been early December. And you remember, I went out on a pretty good limb. And, and I say a limb, it was with information behind it. It was from information from three or four different circles, too, that were not connected to each other. And I really thought Jamie Chadwell was going to be their guy for a while. And, and it was out there publicly. He and, and his people were following Vanderbilt recruits on Twitter, following coaches, following the athletic director. I mean, they, they kind of put it out there for anybody who was looking that they wanted that job. In fact, when I, when I heard he was interested, somebody told me, because I, I was checking on that. I was having an innocent conversation with somebody on the South Carolina job. And I said, what, what about Chadwell? And, and this was somebody from the Carolina market. And they're like, nah, Chadwell wants the Vandy job. Like, you might, I'm thinking, whatever, your info must be pretty bad. And he's like, well, where I got this from is usually, usually pretty dead on. And so I, I called another guy that's got connections in the business, said, look, excuse me for probably wasting your time here, but I need to run this down. This is going to sound crazy, but I've heard Chadwell really wants the Vandy job. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm hearing the same thing. So I'm like, wait, what? Uh, and, and sure enough, that, that it, it all checked out other places too. And I'm not saying they should have hired Jamie Chadwell. That's not what I'm going at here. But as soon as I jumped out on that, Vanderbilt acted pretty quickly and, and fed the story of the places. No, he's not a candidate, blah, blah, blah. And, and so I'm like, okay, what's going on here? So I, I called a guy that I should have called in the first place. And this guy's really connected in athletic circles, a lot of places, including the one here. And I said to him, look, I, I had this, 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 and this, and including some things I can't get into and won't get into. Where did this go wrong? And he said, Vanderbilt was never going to pick a Jamie Chadwell. He said, you can basically narrow down the boxes that they're going to pick from with, with a few criteria. First of all, he said, I, I would take a look that anybody's a minority coach. That's one. And number two, the rest of them, somebody, somebody that they hire is going to have to be awfully buttoned down. And he said, here's guys who fit that category. And Clark Lee was one of the first names that came up. Some other guys were people who had been to Ivy League schools or, you know, worked at Work to the service academy, those kind of things. Sure enough, the final three, I think, were, from, from best I can tell, and I think I'd, I'd be surprised if I'm wrong here, the final three were Monk and Lance Leipold and Clark. And Leipold kind of fit the mold as, as you know, the, the button-down kind of thing. Leipold ended up being runner-up for the job. Leipold was talking to McClellan Deermeyer the night before. They were at his house in Buffalo. He thought, from what I'm told, thought he had a, a, a pretty decent shot at the job. But anyway, I just remember him saying, no, they'll, they'll never do something like that. They're going to pick somebody that fits one of those molds, that's buttoned down, that kind of guy. And I, I think those two stories, when you examine Vanderbilt and how it arrives at its decisions, and by the way, that was the talk when they took Mason too. They want a guy who is not going to push the envelope over there. And I'm not saying Clark will or won't, when they make decisions about stuff, all the conversations that you and I would have about right fit for this offense or this guy's done this over there uh, and done great things at this school, they do not look at it as, hey, th this, is, this is the best coach out there. 
that we might be able to get. No, they, they run their filters really quickly, and they don't even knock on the well, door um, if they don't fit in those boxes. And I, I had well, to learn and, that the hard way, but that is the, that's the world you live in with them. And the truth is, look, look, the beauty of it is, is you get to make your own decisions about who do you want to have. And I, and I, and I fully understand that, but let me ask you this. Is this a football thing? Because I mean, how does Jerry Stackhouse fit into that equation? How did Kevin Stallings fit into that type of equation? Those aren't button down guys who definitely fit that criteria. So why is that? I mean, is this just a football thing? First of all, Stallings ran clean programs. It came from Illinois State. He's a Missouri Valley guy. Okay, well, Stallings, was, that was also a, a Todd Tur- I mean, Stallings was hired, what, 20-something Illinois years ago State, now? Me. Illinois State. That, Illinois that's State. been a long time. Yeah. And Kevin can, can present that face when he wants to also. With, with Stackhouse, that was a – they had a wild card AD for a year, and – he made a wild card hire. Anytime you hire a minority coach at Vanderbilt, that, that is going to get you some traction. I think those are both outliers in ways and can be explained by other things. So that is not just exclusive to just football. Those things just happen to work out that way, and there's a timing issue. That's This is not a football thing. This is athletically across the board. I think that they are so set in their way of doing things they think that their way of doing stuff is right, and if you can't see it, that's just on you for not being being well, bright enough. Right. I mean, I mean, right. Yes, clearly. I mean, clearly, it has worked for this football program for years and years. But, but see, I mean, that's that's bes- that's beside the point. It's how they want to do stuff, and that's the same thing you're running into right now with the priority registration thing fine, that's hitting but Twitter. Chris, don't call and ask me for money then. Well, I know, and I, I that's what I'd say too. If you ever want to know if stuff's going to change, here's your litmus test. If they change that priority registration, then I think maybe you got some hope. If they don't, that tells you they are still married to their way. And, and God knows if, if that's just one of who knows how many things, right? If they can get that done, then, then I'm going to say, okay, maybe maybe it's changing enough to where you can allow some some stuff. But if they can't do something that every other program in the country at a power conference does, then then that's them trying to thread the needle of, that's them keeping one foot in the Vanderbilt way. And I, I just don't think that's your way forward. This program is so far behind, you can't afford to weight it down anymore with stuff like that. And if that doesn't change, I mean, yes, the facilities, that's going to help. Of course it's going to help. But until that way of thinking changes, they are going to put a governor on their programs that's never going to come off. Well, it just seems like it'd be a weird hill for Deermar to die on. I mean, like I told you last time, and I'm ready to start talking about some of the games here, but it'd just be a weird hill to die on because this is just like we said uh, last week, the same coach who also fired the two coaches you said couldn't be fired. And they fired both of them. That is true. I don't know why you draw that line in the sand on something like this. I don't know why you say, well, you know, I did these things, and you said we couldn't do them, and I did them anyway. And when it comes to this, the Vandy way. No, I mean, why would you do all those things and then die on that hill? That doesn't make any sense at all for anybody. 
to, to me, that's not a chancellor thing. That that is a that's I'm too afraid of the academic culture here thing to to try it. And until that changes, I just think it's going to be really hard. This will get back to them. And good afternoon, guys. What makes you think that schools who are more academically inclined than you are, like Stanford and Northwestern, if it's cool for them, how do you, in turn, think that you're above it? It's them thinking they are special. Right. You can think what you want, but that's that's what it is. Oh, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm saying it's an, that's unacceptable. That's not a legitimate excuse. Uh, I'm not saying you're wrong about it. I'm saying that's unacceptable. Because what David Shaw said was true. It is a better school than Vanderbilt. That's not an opinion. It's a fact. It is a better school. It's more academically re- reputable than Vanderbilt is. That doesn't mean I don't love Vanderbilt. I clearly do. But the truth is the truth if the world's on fire. If it's good enough for them, if it's not a compromise for their athletes, then I promise you it's not a compromise for ours. It's not. So get over that because you're not even the king dog daddy in that particular sector. You may be in this conference, but academically, which is what the people that you're talking about cling to, you're not the top of the heap. The top of the heap does these things. Because the top of the heap recognizes that if I put my name on it, whatever it is, if I put my name on it, it's going to get the best that I have, or I'm not going to put my name on it. That's what truly smart and good fundamental business people understand. Let me ask you something, though. When, when you see one of these documentaries about somebody that's been on top of the world and it, and it crumbles down and... You know, they end up homeless or in jail or any number of, you know, a bunch of things that could go wrong. What what are the two or three common threads in all those stories? Uh, somewhere along the line is usually greed. Well, I would say pride and arrogance are right up there with that, too. I think those are hard things for people who are, for right or wrong, seen as successful in their field to get over. Those are the things that are people's downfalls, right? And by the way, none of us is immune from that. I'm not immune from that. It's human nature. And I just think that's where I look at them. And and pride and arrogance are the root of most of that place's troubles. I'll ride with that. It's just I don't see how those same people in return, and I understand, uh, I highly doubt they're, you know, on ESPNU watching a football game, you know, in the middle of a Saturday afternoon. I understand that. But I would just think, like I said, at the end of the day, if you put your name on something, that you don't want to be an embarrassment. And some of the the, the results that we've got have been, frankly, embarrassing over the years. And and, you know, I don't like – I had a long, drawn-out conversation Monday night at my men's group and because my buddy had posted he, – now, he's an Alabama fan. Now, he's not one of these I've been an Alabama fan since Nick Saban's been there type of people. I mean, he literally grew up in the state and actually did film work for the program. And he's a big Alabama fan. But he posted something one, uh, one day last week, and he's like, uh, Vanderbilt people, not the fans, uh, the, uh, Vanderbilt should be ashamed of themselves with the money that they've been getting from the SEC network and putting absolutely none of it into athletics over all this time. That's what it's for, and you need to do that the way the rest of the conference is doing, and frankly, that some action should be taken until they do, uh, you know, uh, appropriately do that. He was not aware of the $300 million commitment. He said, 
but at the same time, so I made him aware of that. He said, yeah, seven, eight years later, you can take that $300 million and, you know, that's almost the equivalent of those seven, eight years worth of that money uh, that they could have already had been using in the first place. And this would have been going to enhance things. He said, as it is, yeah, you could use that $300 million, but what are we really doing with it? I mean, what, what, even if you use it all towards athletics, where does that get you? Does it remove? Does it take you out of the basement? The answer is no. The answer is no. That's not nearly enough. That would only be effective as if everybody stopped spending uh, that money on athletics right now. But they're not going to do that. You know that they're not going to do that. So what has to happen, Chris, is that three hundred million dollars plus this SEC network money going forward needs to be spent on what it's supposed to be spent for in the first place: athletics. And if that's the commitment, then we got a shot. If it's not, then this is all just lipstick on a pig, and none of this is going to matter anyway. All right, we got a mailbag to get to, but before we do that, anything you want to go into before we tackle that? Uh, you know, thoughts on the Georgia game? Uh, well, uh, well, let's see. Thoughts on the Georgia game? Uh, I was playing. I was it, happy it's to see over. Marcus Bradley in there. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm glad that it's over. Uh, I was happy to see Marcus Bradley in there. I hope to see a little bit more of him. I think we need a lot more players uh, of, of his ability, and I think he's, I think he's going to do just fine. Uh, I saw a little bit of Clark Lee's press conference, only about 10 minutes. Um, I think maybe Ken presses a little bit at times, but I also get it. You know, he's under a lot of pressure to get it, not, not, not just literally, but to, to try to make something happen. You know, and and let's not kid ourselves. By the way, you know, sometimes look, we're used to getting beat. Now that's 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 one thing. But sometimes, you know, Chris, and I know you know what I mean. You recognize when you're up against the real deal. You know, not just a good SEC football team, but the real deal. We were up against the real deal Saturday. That Georgia defense. You know, they had a really really stout defense a couple of years ago. This Georgia defense, I think, has a chance to be, like, epically special. You know, you heard all the praise that some of these scouts were talking about during the broadcast. But, yo, dude, it's true. That Georgia defense is sick. And that's gonna, I think that's going to be the case year uh, all year long. I'm really interested in watching their game this week. To me, that's my number one game of the week this week. I don't care who's playing each other. Uh, that's the game I want to watch the most is that game with Arkansas because I've watched Arkansas physically uh, handle two, t- two pretty good football teams uh, with their defense. And, you know, defensively, they've been so bad, you know, over the past five, six years. But yeah, Sam Pittman, I mean, and here's and, – and, 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 Chris, how much does that tell you what, a, what, a, what an outstanding coach is worth? When he took it over, they were just in the – you remember when we physically manhandled them in Fayetteville? You remember that? Yeah. The, the difference is belief, and this team doesn't believe. This team also went through a ton of stuff last year, the year before. Again, a lot of that inflicted by the school it plays for. That this I just think is – Yeah, that, that I think is, is scarred some of the kids. I think the confidence is gone. Yeah, maybe. I'm not saying Clark couldn't do a better job, but I don't know that Sigmund Freud could, could well, get to this team at this point. I mean, and I would look, I was there in practice. I saw all the enthusiasm and all those things. I thought they did a pretty good job 
of preparing those kids and doing a good job of of trying to motivate them to get excited. You know, the conditioning was better, all those things. And they get in a game and, and the first sign of adversity, well, I shouldn't say that there was a Colorado state game. And again, I I'd say if the Trey McBride thing doesn't happen where he picks a fight on the sidelines, basically, I wonder how they would have responded because absent that they have not had an answer when they've gotten kicked in the teeth yet. Remember when Vince Lombardi said about winning being not being a sometime thing, it's an all-the-time thing? Losing is a disease. A losing mentality is a disease uh, that has to be eradicated. And it's not just as easy as hyping somebody up all of a sudden for a minute or talk. I mean, it's, it's, it's a process. And this is not it's, – it's just not going to be easy. You know, I mean, I look, I, I think one of the things that frustrates Vanderbilt fans is they just want to see – you know, they don't want to have to put some a mirror under the under your nose to see if you're alive, if you have a pulse. Go down, but go down with everything you've got. And that's all anybody's asking. And they haven't seen that yet. I mean, in these games that they've lost, they ain't just lose. They just, what's the say, the old term, not with a, going out, not with a bang, but with a whimper. Uh, and, and, and that's what's happened. And, but, I, but I'm going to tell you, Chris, and, and we can talk about the talent issue and what it is or what it is not. Um, but right now, you know, these, these, these poor cats, you know, the, because I promise you this, every one of them, when they got to Vanderbilt, loved playing football. Okay. They did. They had, even if they came from a bad, so they loved playing football and they dreamed about playing college football. And there's no way this is the way they anticipated it or wanted it to be. So they don't, you don't hate it more than they do. They're the ones that actually have to hear it from everybody they go get up at six o'clock in the morning they work out when you know before the sun is up and they're running hills and and they're trying to eat right and doing all these things it, they've seen no fruits from it so nobody wants to win more than they do and this team you know they need some things to go right you know they need to they need to make their own luck for sure but they 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 need a couple more colorado state type of games you know, and, and start believing that they know how to play football and that they know how to get the job done. You know, right now, when they went out there against Georgia, they looked like a team that knew to me anyway. I mean, that's I've seen it before. Uh, they looked like they were beat before the, before the ball was ever kicked off. That's hard to overcome. Can Clark Lee do that? I don't know. I hope so. I want to believe that he can. But the state of the program right now is, is such that I mean, it's not just going to happen in a week. It it can't, you know. But what I do know is this. There's a lot of people that believe in Clark Lee, a lot of good football minds that believe in Clark Lee who have been around him, who have coached with him, been coached by him, and 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 they believe he has that ability. And that if it wasn't the Vanderbilt job, it was going to be another job eventually somewhere down the line. And even you remember, Chris, Notre Dame fans did not want to lose Clark Lee, did they? No. No, they didn't. Because and, and some of them even said because somewhere down the line, maybe they're looking at Brian Kelly's replacement. He was the defensive coordinator of one of the best programs in all of America and a very successful one. The guy knows what he's doing. The task that he has is Herculean, and I'm putting it mildly. Um, I'm willing to give him the opportunity, be, uh, benefit of the doubt, because I understand what he's up against. That's not going to exclude me from being upset when I see a, a bad effort. 
uh, or a team that puts up no fight, I'm going to criticize that. It deserves to be criticized. But at the with the same breath, I'm also going to understand that this is a law. It's a very hard uphill battle in the toughest conference in the country with a school who we'll see if that's still the case or not. But for the most part, has proven that they can be more of an enemy than, than your uh, than, than your harbor, than your safe harbor. They, they can be just as a big a hill to climb as playing an Alabama or somebody like that. Um, I am hopeful that things have changed there, you know, and, and, and it's got to be one step at a time. It Don't get me wrong. Nobody gets more frustrated than me than to either be at the game or to turn it on my television set and see none of us there and watch us get humiliated and listen to these idiotic announcers with the same old, same old, look at all these people from this other school. We've already heard it. We've heard it six million times. You are not breaking ground. We're all aware of it. And it hurts every one of us to our souls. But, you know, what I try to remember is what it felt like when I first realized that it didn't have to be that way when James Franklin came in. And so I'm not asking Clark Lee to be James Franklin. That is clearly not who he is as a human, not as a football coach, uh, as as a person. I just got to see steady improvement by the school and by that program and by that, that, you know, that coaching staff and the players and recruiting and everything all the way down the line. Do that, and I'm willing to be part of this process, you know. Give me the same old crap that I've seen since the 70s, since I was a little boy, and somebody else can have it. That's simple. Shall we do the mailbag, sir? We can, but I charge a dollar a question. <laughs> All right. Well, it's, as long as it's not you. a dollar a minute, we'll make it mm. fine. I was in a movie called that once. Go ahead. Oh. All right. Today's mailbag is sponsored by Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in any type of accident, Give Taylor or Russell a call, that number 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. All right, let's start here. Gold River says, what's your gut feeling about the long-term success of the coaching staff? (laughs) Ask me that after that game. (laughs) Uh, Gold River, I am by no means... By no means am I uh, avoiding your question, but Chris, I'm gonna I'm gonna call on your help here. I don't really know how to answer that right now. Frankly, it's looked horrible this year so far. The, the Colorado State game was fun. I enjoyed that, but a 20 point loss to ETSU and then that Yang that we saw last week, uh, it, it's that's all I have to go on so far. So it's kind of hard for me to answer that right now. It doesn't look great, but. You know, I'm by no means have I already made a decision on what I think of Clark Lee as a coach. Is that a fair answer? I mean, I feel like it sounds like I'm ducking. I called a guy that that knows the coaching business really well and is a little familiar with the the situation here. I just said, tell me the truth. And he's he's seen some of their games and, and what's happened. I said, when when it starts like this is a coach usually able to get out of that nosedive? Does it ever end well? He said, normally not. Now, having said that, I I will say two things 
I loved his response in the press conference on Tuesday. No, I, I don't normally put a lot of stock in those, but you would ask Derek Mason questions along those lines and you'd get, you know, man, when the gunfighter gets shot, he's got to get back on the horse and keep going type answers, right? I mean, Clark felt like it felt like you were speaking to a a cancer doctor or something. He had the diagnosis and he's like, well, this, this, I mean, his answers were as good as you'll ever hear in a press conference. And one thing that I appreciate about him is he gives you good and thoughtful answers and he doesn't sidestep much. I, I hope he makes it for two reasons. I like the guy. And two, just from a doing your job standpoint, he's great to work with. And, and so I, I really hope that it works. Again, the thing that I fall back on, because there's exceptions to rules, right? I'm, I'm just, I'm being as honest as I can here. When, when coaches come in to rebuild jobs, you've got that. You've usually got a talent issue. You've usually got a morale issue. These kids are dealing with stuff that transcends anything players deal with at most places. I mean, harassment from faculty uh, has been a part of the equation. The Sarah Fuller thing, by the way, Georgia was looked like a team that was ready to play. And, and that game last year is never canceled if Sarah Fuller is not part of that football team. And the coaching staff doesn't go through the, the charade of, uh, even to the point where they were telling players that Sarah was their best option. And the kids knew they were full of crap. I think when you go through an experience like that from the coaches recruiting you, lying to your face about stuff like that, not making an effort to win games, but to do whatever they did for whatever reasons, to me that's that's tough to forget. I'm not making I'm not making excuses for Clark here, right? But I am right. saying I think there are some dimensions with this and and the two things I would say was that and and again, I, I I think that he knows and diagnoses stuff very well. Now, look, they have got to find an answer because when you play football, it is an emotional game. And I, I think the, the the Tom Landry approach to life, um, you know, at some point James got it done with, I think, making kids believe they were capable of things that they probably weren't capable of. Uh, and it worked. And and he's got to flip that switch somewhere. And that's the question I have. But I hope it works. I, I would not I would not be as pessimistic about him turning around again, given the stuff they've been through. I wonder if you start over three or four years now when the roster's completely different kids. Assuming the Chancellor does his job and clearing out some of the, the faculty garbage. And I'll give him credit. From what I was told, and I trust my source on this, Susan Wente may have taken the job at, at Wake, but what I was told is she was not welcome to come back for another year, is the way that I have heard it. And that's good. So they got to do a job of, of changing the culture at that school and taking away the things that kids can deal with. And, and I think there's a lot of healing that's got to go on that's a layer to this that like, like, let's say if Clark went to, I don't know, Akron, just name a place where the program's terrible Akron. right now. I, I, I don't I don't know that he's dealing with a lot of things that these kids are dealing with that he could have anticipated. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, may, maybe so, but it's going to be what it's going to be. The, the, the outcome is, is, is the approach and how you handle it going forward. I mean, you 
you can all those things are true, but you know, Susan Wente ain't there no more. You can use it as an excuse not to build, not to put everything you have into it, but you know, man, we've gotten rid of some of those hurdles. Let's go from here. And easy um, to say, but you know, it's on the way to approach it. Ann Arbordor asked, looking at the rivals' ratings for 2018 to 20, Vanderbilt was ranked in the 40 to 50 range for football ahead of a number of Power Five programs. It would appear that we are underperforming our rankings. How would you explain this? Is it a case of players not being good fit, or were the rankings just off? No, the rankings, I don't think they're off. I mean, there's a reason that those same teams keep ending up where they do, right? You know, from the good and the bad. There's a reason that Kansas is not going to play for, you know, and they're, you know, they're not going to make it to a certain level. There's a reason that Alabama is. The recruiting is what it is. It's not exact, but it's, uh, it's like Max Howell used to say. You recruit these players, it doesn't guarantee you're going to have success, but if you don't, it guarantees you won't. You know, so I no, I, I don't, I don't buy that. I think it comes down to two words, Chris, and I think you know what they are. Two words are player development. Vanderbilt has been wretched, wretched at player development over the last few years. Now, that's not a Clark Lee thing. That's a Derek Mason thing. So I'm not putting that in, in Coach in, in Coach Lee's lap at all. You know, I'm not going to give him to him as a crutch, but I'm not going to charge him with something he didn't do. So, no, I, I think the answer is strictly player development. I have a kind of a, a different explanation. See if you buy this, okay? These things are based on formulas, right? What if Tim Corbin went out and signed a class that was rated number one in the country, but it was all pitchers? And he did that for a couple years in a row. Would the recruiting rankings be wrong? About the individual players? No, yeah. but that doesn't make any sense at all. Okay, here's, here's my point. Look at that team and tell me where they have speed. Where they have speed. Uh, well, I mean, you know, I don't. Not, they don't have any. Not uh, any, but uh, they don't have a lot of speed. Not relative to what they're playing. No. And we know about strength and conditioning. What that's been. I mean, that's that's sure. just a fatal sure. punch. And again, I think they can do some stuff better. But I've been saying this since the day he was hired. I look at that team. And I look at the way they got beat in foot races, and I'm seeing the same guys coming back, and I don't know how you fix that. Yeah, you know, like, I mean, some of these players that we're talking about, they, you know, I mean, Vanderbilt ain't the only team that offered them, Chris. You know, there's several players on there with multiple Power 5 uh, offers. No, no, but you can't have a bunch of guys who collectively can't run. You can get away with some of those guys here and there if you've got other guys that, that can't run. And that's why I made the point about all pitchers. They did not get a collection that included enough guys who can run. Uh, agreed. My problem is, from a development standpoint, we don't have anybody that's a game-breaker or even remotely close to that from a from a speed standpoint. Now, except for a guy who we're having a hard time getting him on the field, you know, for different reasons, and that's Mike Wright. Mike Wright's got speed and length at the same time. I, You know, I am not advocating in any way that he should be the starting quarterback because I don't know that. But 
that guy needs the ball in his hands. We don't have a lot of Mike Wright's talent-wise, you know, and he, whether that's strictly in packages, you know, a certain amount of snaps at quarterback, you know, in the, in the slot, I don't care, something. That guy needs football in his hands. He's not a quarterback at this point of his career, but he's their backup right now. Whatever he is, he is a guy who has a tremendous athletic upside. Too, yeah, I, I who agree. has a skill, who has a skill set that is that, that not many on our team, if any, have. So you know, whatever that means and whatever that is, that dude needs to be on the football field. You can't you can't put up stats if you're not out there. ATL Door says, piggybacking on Ann Arbor's question, some on the board posted about the lack of contribution from our upperclassmen and that 2018 was considered Mason's best class. I think there are only six starters from that class and none have really stood out. He mentioned Steen, Bresnahan, Johnson, Worship, McAllister, and Jerkins. Is this one of the more disappointing classes that you can remember? Maybe, you know, but I got two words for you again. Do you remember what they are? I literally just said it a minute ago, player development. Yeah. That may sound boring, but it's a correct answer. So I don't really know how to slice it up. Disappointment? Yeah, maybe a little bit, yeah. Look, there are a couple classes, you know, uh, groups of players. I'll just say this to you. Uh, From a trifecta of players, I mean, I I had more hope and more anticipation of a trio by the name of Kimbrough, Beatty and uh, oh, good grief! Uh, what what's the young man's name? The uh, not Kim Dietschy, uh Azubake from Nashville, uh, Caleb Azubake. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought those guys were the kind that you know are going to come in, destroy everything in their path, and you're going to build an organization. You're going to build your franchise around them. Excuse me, your 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 program around, and you're it's going to it's going to continue to trend and trend and trend and well, we know how all of that went down, you know. So there's never a guarantee. There's there, there, there's there's never a guarantee. And sometimes I look at classes and I and I and I think to myself, man, this is this is a bad class, and then they end up having some nuggets in there. And then sometimes you 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 can it's, it's hit or miss with recruiting, but you know, I mean, you gotta you have you you have to bring in the best possible material that you possibly can. It is the reason. Look, as great as Nick Saban is. He can't win the national tap title with Bowling Green's talent, can he? Can't even come close. The only thing he can do is serve to get his butt whipped all over that field. Bottom line, they may be more, and they may be disciplined and they may work hard and you may have to fight, but if they don't have any talent, it ain't gonna matter. That's gonna win out eventually. You know, it's just it's just gonna happen. They bring in the very best talent. They get the most out of it, player development. When you add those two things up, you get teams like Alabama. You get teams like Georgia. But you don't see teams like Oklahoma State, you know, Missouri, NC State. Those are all fine teams, and they're teams that can win you six, seven, eight games a year, go to a bowl game. But they don't have the horses. They're never going to be there because they don't have the horses. That's just the bottom line. This is college football. And now, you know, and, and, and see now with this whole NIL deal, at first I thought about it. I was like, you know, well, this is only going to make Alabama and Georgia and, and, and you know, Ohio State and Florida and Oregon the same ones. Uh, they're the only ones that really benefit from that. When the truth is, that's all up to you now. 
all up to where you are. You know what? You know, that's just you know that's why actually I, I, at first I thought well this is the death knell for Vanderbilt, and the truth is, get, you know we talk about the hindrance of being in Nashville. This is one of the opportunities. This is one of the pluses of this NIL and Vanderbilt being in Nashville. So you know now problem is nobody in Nashville cares about Vanderbilt football, but if that if you can change that. If you can get the interest drummed up and start having a little bit of success, and then these kids start seeing this, look at the opportunities that are in this city. I can come here and be a spokesperson for said place, said said product, whatever uh, you know, whatever happens to be. And there's more opportunity financially for me as in, in a city like that than there will ever be in Oxford, Mississippi or Starkville, or Auburn, Alabama, or Columbia, South Carolina, or Missouri. Uh, they can't equal that. So if we can ever get this thing off the ground, what I initially thought would be the death nail could be one of the things that helps the program like Vanderbilt. Bruno brought up a really good point after the game, just as an aside here. And I had never thought of this before, and it, it was a brilliant thought. You know, travel squads in the SEC are, what, 65 men? That Georgia defense is one of the deepest bunches I have ever seen. Uh, maybe the deepest. If you're at Georgia, they might put in that freshman who isn't going to play a snap all year in the third quarter, uh, which, which, by the way, that's probably still better than what Vanderbilt was putting out there. He had a good point. Like Georgia could only do so much to, to ease up because that's a really down, talented team. And, you know, they got 20-something scholarship players – they might have been getting mop-up time, especially with the redshirt rules now, that weren't going to see the field in that game just because of the travel limitations. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I know. I mean, it's it's a brand-new world in college football, Chris. Brand-new world. Brand-new world, my friend. I really I thought forever, Chris. I swear I did. I said, if this ever happens, college football's over. It's over with. And the other truth is it's only over as we knew it not over it's just different VUNGA one of the biggest topics of the board is a lack of emotion from the coaching staff on the sidelines during game action many of this board do not see it as an issue yet many others see it as a glaring problem what are your thoughts and I mean I think y'all know how I feel about it I look again you've heard me say to you before I've never understood the need for a coach to get you motivated to play the game of football. I, my mind won't let me understand that. But from the fan side, that, that's just the football side of me speaking. From the fan side of me, and look, I, you know, it, it's kind of hard because, like, you know, Chris, your personality is what? It's who you are, Right. I mean, I, I know you better than anybody listening to this podcast knows you, right? Wouldn't you agree with that for the most part, unless like your wife yeah. listening? Um, I know you. I know what makes you tick. I know how you are. I know how you react to certain things and vice versa. And there's just things that I know are either going to trigger you or not, and you're, or how you're going to handle the situation. So from a player standpoint, I'm never going to need a coach to get me motivated or hyped up to beat the crap out of the guy across from me on the line of scrimmage. From my, my football mind says, if you need that, then you're already beat. 
the fan side of me, which is the one that spouts his mouth off a little bit from time to time, cannot stand to, to stand to, to watch a coach just stand there with no expression on their face, with their arms folded, not doing anything, just really just kind of standing there when things are going down and things are going bad. The fan side of me says, what are you doing? I don't, I'm not telling you have to break a clipboard over somebody's head, but it is time, if not now, when? If you won't engage your team right now when the chips are absolutely down and morale is at its lowest, then when will you do it? When will you do it? When nobody's looking? Doesn't matter then. The only thing that matters is game time. And what you do in the heat of competition, that's what matters. And if you have no reaction, you're going to draw a reaction, and it ain't going to be one you like. You know, now, I understand it. Why does a dog bark? Because it's a dog. You know, people are what they are. But if you're a college football coach in the biggest conference in the country, I don't care if it's Vanderbilt, whether it's Vanderbilt or Alabama, you know, Think about all the great coaches that you know of in college football right now and tell me the one that just stands there when things are going wrong. Tell me, I'm I'm listening, Chris. Go ahead and name one one of them for me. Go ahead and name me one. You know why? Because it's it's the improper action. The lack of it is improper. At that moment, you have to be the beacon. There's no way around it. I'm sorry if that's not who you are. Who cares? Make yourself that way. You're going to have to. You're going to have to because you're in charge of a college football team. And they already, remember what they said? Remember when they said, oh, man, you know, the first thing went wrong, and what did they do? They collapsed. You know why they did that? Because their last coach did the exact same thing when the chips were down, didn't he? You remember that? I know you do. I know you do. He sat there. And he sat there with that faraway look in his eye, waiting on somebody to do something. That's where you come in. That is your job. And, you know, and I'm not, it's not always just about screaming and yelling and waving your hands in the air. But they need to see that this is not acceptable and that they will have to kill you. for you to go down. You may not win this game, but by God, you're going to get every single possible thing that each one of those kids possibly has, and that coach is going to give you everything in kind and in return. Uh, If you don't have that, if they don't see that, they're going to mimic that, and they've done that. They've uh, Unfortunately, we have seen a lot of that. So, you know, I mean, it's not not uh, an indictment. I'm not trying to change anybody. But sometimes when the chips are on the table and everything is on the line, you just have to do it. Even if it's not in your nature, that's the job. That's the job. And there is not one college coach in America worth his salt of a very successful football program in 2021 who, when things are going poorly and his team is getting blown off the football, just sits there. And, you know, you shouldn't want them to. 
You should want your coach. You should be angrier than anybody else, and maybe you are, and maybe you show it in a different way. But if that's not, there's only one time to do it, and that's in the moment. That's when it has to happen. Any other time is, I'm not saying it's futile, but it's an exercise in futility, to be honest with you. If you do it when, when, then the cameras aren't on you and nobody's watching, you know. I mean, now is that time. Got to be that time. Even if that's not who you are, you got to do it anyway so that when those kids see it, you know what, wait a minute, he's fighting. I got to keep fighting. So when you do that, it's going to be very rare that you look down your sidelines and you see that, oh, no, here we go again. Because those kids aren't going to want to do that because they don't want to be the guy that says, oh, yeah, I was, that's, that was me, all right. They want to be one of the ones that says, with every ounce of blood, sweat, and tear of everything that I have, that's what I'm given today. And anything else would be uncivilized. Now, that's a long-winded answer, but, Chris, I'm not wrong. I'm not wrong. It's not an indictment, and obviously I'm clearly talking about Clark Lee. That would be stupid to not know that. And I love Coach. I do. This is. I, I think he's going to be fine. But sometimes you got to shake things up, even if you don't want to. you just got to do it. Did you say, I don't know if you checked the Sagarin ratings this week. Vanderbilt is 129 in the country. 129. Um, 129. That includes FBS and FCS teams. Do you want to take a guess at where they were ranked at the end of 2010? That would have been Robbie Caldwell's interim season. I'm going to guess. Are you ready? Yeah. 129. 126. You were very close. In other words, this team was as bad as that team. Now, look, uh, there are some very important differences here. First of all, that was at the 2010 class with Wes Johnson and I think Zach Stacy and Warren Norman, Casey Hayward. I don't know if he was in that class or one before. They had some really under-the-radar talented guys that the recruiting guys may not have recognized at the time. But that, that, that team had some, some talented players. But, you know, when, when it all stinks the way it did that year – and it just goes bad, and you lose your coach right before the season. There was, there was some badness that transcended the talent, but that was a pretty fragile group. I would have to think heading into to James Franklin's tenure. Would you probably agree with that? Given how bad they were the year before, you, you know the answer to that. Do you remember what happened during the Connecticut game? Ironically, that year, that was the game uh, where they they were down late. And then James did the infamous run up and down the sidelines and whatever he said, hey, those days are past, we're not going back, however he phrased it to the kids. I mean, that was how he phrased it to the fans in front of cameras. But he said something along the lines of, we're going to get our heads up, we're going to go out and play ball, we're not going to let the past drag us down. And remember, that's the game where Casey... Those days are over and they're never coming back. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know what he said to his team in that moment, but it was something along those lines. And Casey Hayward got the pick six. They win the game narrowly. And the trajectory of that football program changed for the next two and a half years from that point on. They got to find that moment with that coaching staff. And maybe Clark's not the guy because you... You can't be somebody you're not, or maybe he's got that in him. But that's what I see missing. I saw a guy that in the ETSU game, I don't think he expected that to happen. 
And I think he literally was shell-shocked. He's probably sitting there thinking, we did all the right things. Uh, we pushed the buttons. We've had a long journey. We got the kids in better shape. All the things that they legitimately had. My guess is, and I don't know this for a fact, that when that ETSU game happened and it went wrong, he was as shocked as, as anybody and, and probably didn't know what to do. That's Again, that's a hypothesis. Doesn't excuse it, but I have a feeling he did not see that one coming. And I, I just, he's going to have to dial up an answer to that. Uh, and, and again, I think Trey McBride did it for them three weeks ago in Fort Collins. He provided that distraction where they got good and ticked off and, and they quit thinking about how bad they'd been and just went out and got angry and won a ball game. Yeah, they're, they're going to have to find somebody on that staff, whether it's him or somebody else that's going to do that. That's right, and I'm glad you said that because it doesn't always have to be the head coach. You know, let it be someone. Uh, what was my guy's name? Uh, Sean Spence, was that it? Sean Spencer. Now, they had a lot of guys on that staff uh, that, that would get in your face and, and get you fired up. Bob Shoup would do it. Herb Hand would do it. It wasn't just him, but he was the guy that, like, if you said who was the face uh, for the charismatic portion of that staff um, other than James Franklin, it would have been Sean Spencer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that, that, that's right. You know. So that, again, I, I mean, this is not just a, a Clark Lee thing by any stretch. It, it's, it's got to have a dog in there somewhere. I don't care who it is. Don't doesn't matter to me. I'd like it to be Clark, but it doesn't have to be. Uh, but just somebody that challenges these dudes that will not let them do that. That makes them understand that this is, you know, I, I get it's because it is so easy to just the, the whole here we go again that's an easy deal doesn't take any it doesn't take any you know, i remember uh les brown one of my favorite remember that old vanderbilt hype video where they did you know after the houston game or before the houston bowl game remember that on youtube and they did that vanderbilt hype video with the motivational speakers i don't remember that do you know what i'm talking about Oh, well, it's on YouTube still, and you need to go back and watch it because it's all about Vanderbilt football and, and motivation, and, and, and it's, it's, it's amazing. Uh, just type in a YouTube Vanderbilt hype video in Houston, uh, and that video will come up. And it goes back and forth between Les Brown and I, Michael somebody I can't think of the name of the guy, and they're motivational speakers. And they just keep – it's a great – so whoever did it just did an amazing job. And, and, and he said – and Les Brown said one of those things when they were – getting everybody hyped up and said it doesn't take any effort to be a loser and that's just so true it doesn't take any effort to be a loser so but you have to call upon yourself you have to find some kind of extraordinary will and and try to be capable and, and be capable of things that you didn't even know you could do you know, but that you have to call upon that. What you? Nobody is going to feel sorry for anybody who sits on that sideline with their lips poked out, talking about "Here we go again." Nobody's going to feel not the fan base, not your friends, not any other teams. Nobody watching that game is going to feel bad for you. Now they're going to feel the least bit bad for you. So you saw, you know, and and even if it means even though, even if that type of coach that we're talking about is not on that staff, and you have to. Find it somewhere within yourself that says, I realize this dude across the line from me is a monster, but by God, he, I'm going to die before I lay down. You know, you're li he's literally going to get everything I have, and I don't see that when I watch them play. 
I'm going to ask you a couple more questions in the mailbag. There are several Real more. Real quick, some of these, not, yeah, as, and some of these have obvious answers. Okay, Ann Arbor asks, you've played football and you're also a fan. What are some of the bigger misconceptions fans have about the way players play the game? And says in parentheses, Bruno mentioned reliance on emotion is overrated. Now, that might be his answer. That may not be your answer. And I think Bruno is just a different guy. He's he's wound sometimes in ways that other people aren't. So I think sometimes what he says, I think, is true of all football players. Sometimes it's not because he's just, like I said, he's a different right. cat. I mean that in a good way. Bruno's not the kind of guy that needed motivation, and that's part of it. But anyway, I'll let you no. And I that. think we've kind of addressed I think we've addressed this today, uh, you know, this question. Uh, I think I've addressed that before it got answered or got asked, actually. Um, because, and yes, I agree with, I think Bruno's a brilliant guy and was heck of a football player. Um, but in, in regards to things like emotion, you know, I know fans get hyped up. You know, they see their team smoke machines and, and, and players bouncing around and hopping up and down. And that's awesome. You should – this game is the greatest game ever invented. It should be fun. You should have a lot of fun. Watching your team – and you, if you watch one of your teams, you say, man, look, they look like they're ready. They're jacked up. They're ready to go. fact of the matter is, is emotion cannot carry you through an entire football game. If you are really jacked up, you might be able to carry that through the first quarter, but then it's up to your teaching and 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 the, and the, and the execution of what you've learned and and your skill set. Emotion is a great thing to have; you need it, but it's not the thing that's going to carry you through four quarters of football. It's the thing that can make the difference in four quarters of football, but it cannot be the entire catalyst. It just can't, you know. So while I've been telling you we need these things, we do in conjunction with player development, strength and conditioning. Why do we look like a junior college football team size and speed wise? We do. That's what we look like. You know, I, 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 I don't know why, uh, but that's another thing that we absolutely have to achieve. We have got to find a way uh, to get bigger and stronger and faster. It just has to happen because I mean, you know, think about this. We were getting bullied at the point of attack by Colorado State for a good chunk of that game. And the ETSU game, let me tell you something, the better line on both sides of the ball won. That is unacceptable. That is unacceptable in every conceivable way. So, you know, whatever it takes. And, and I understand people were talking about the nutrition in the past, and I get all of that. But you know what? We go from here. We, we, we go from here, and we build from right here, and we do whatever it takes to look. It's what we got to do, Chris. We got to look Alabama. Not Alabama. Forget that. That's we got to look Kentucky and South Carolina and Tennessee and, and Missouri and two schools like that. We need to be able to look them in the eye because there's not a Vanderbilt fan on here that's listening to this. Because if you're taking the time, we're an hour and a half into this thing. So if you're still listening, you're a dedicated Vanderbilt fan. Um, there's not a Vanderbilt fan out there that will not be satisfied if we can go out there and literally compete with those teams every year and, and it be a coin toss every time we play one of those teams. Nobody expects us to whip Georgia and Florida every year, uh, you know, beat Alabama and all that stuff like that. But if we compete with those teams, you go out there, you lay it on the line, teams are competitive, we go 6-6, six and 7-5, six, and five, and Vanderbilt fans aren't going to complain about that. They can't, and they won't. 
But that seems like on September the 29th, 2021, that sounds like a pipe dream. Okay, here's the last one I'm going to ask you. This is for Doors alum. When we play the Georges and Bamas of the world, should they agree to a running clock or shorten quarters? I know Will Healy did this versus Georgia a few years back, and it seems like a smart strategy to keep the players safe. Yeah, sure, if you don't want to play in the SEC. Holy cow. That, yeah, that, that question to... itself, to keep the players safe, it, it, I mean, it's really to that point, I guess. This is SEC football team. I know. They make me cuss with this question. No, no, 60 minutes, every second of it. I don't care, care what the score is. No, you should never agree to that. This ain't Division One versus Division Three. You know, this isn't NAI versus Ohio State. This is two SEC football teams. I'm sorry you suck right now, but you're just going to have to take this beating. You know, if they want if they want to pull back on you, so be it. But no, it's worse. It would be it would be so much worse if they did that. So much worse. And I'm not talking about the final score, Chris. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Can you imagine that? You imagine it's already hard enough to recruit for Vanderbilt. You imagine Clark Lee having to go in there and explain to a, to a to a kid why he should come there when. I said, well, didn't they have to, didn't you guys agree to have a running clock just so you wouldn't get beat so bad? You know, it's one thing for it to happen. It's quite another to admit you don't belong on a football field and you're a Southeastern Conference member. A charter win at that. No, no, heck no. Under any circumstances, should that be the case? No, no. I'm out of questions. Now all I got to do is go do another two-hour talk show. <laughs> right. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Uh, tell people where they can follow you on social media. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Cheap Seats Bass, and you can listen to me on 101.5, uh, 830 to 11, and from 6 to 8 p.m., Monday through Friday on Jackson's News Talk, 101.5 FM. It's called the Cheap Seats. We are about to approach year. Chris, what about this? How about year number 22, my friend? Man, that's crazy. Uh, well, congratulations on that, and thanks for joining us today. Hey, well, thanks for having me, and love you, Commodore Nation. Love our Commodores. Good luck against UConn. Let's get to two and three, guys. Let's, get us, let's take it home. Let's get us a win. Be good. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We thank our presenting sponsor, Jody Jones DDS. We thank our other sponsors, Sutherland and Belk and MyPerfectFranchise.net. If you're interested in sponsoring this podcast, and that's how we make this work, please email me at chrislee70 at gmail.com. We also ask that you subscribe to our website, vandysports.com. That is $99 a year. You get things there that you don't get here. And, of course, please rate, review, and subscribe where you see our podcast. That helps us get noticed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at vandysports.com. Follow me at chrislee70. And finally, subscribe to our Vandy Sports YouTube channel as well. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast, which is part of the 440 Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. We'll catch you with another episode coming very soon.